in my in my devotions, um, in my scripture, I have like five scripture reading plans that I kind of go through, and and some churches are in different ones, and and more recently, uh, our scripture reading has brought us through uh, the book of Romans, and that's well toward the end of the book of Romans, and and Romans is an incredible letter. I mean, Paul wrote Rome wrote this letter to the believers in Rome. And it was in the mid-50s, you know, 55, 56 A.D. And, and Rome was probably, oh, you know, it's, it's hard to say what the population was, but it was, it was just under a million people. Now it's kind of hard because they didn't have those kinds of surveys that we do today. But it, historians are pretty much agreeable that it was anywhere, at least in that time period, anywhere from 600,000 to a million people that lived in Rome. And that would fluctuate because, you know, when plagues would come, a lot of people would leave and then they would come back. A lot of people didn't make it. And, you know, the life expectancy wasn't as long as it is today. So it, it fluctuated a lot. But this Rome was like the, uh, the center of the Roman Empire. You probably heard about that, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And it was a peace that was enforced. In fact, if you messed up, if you messed around with the peace of Rome, uh, you weren't going to be in Rome much longer because you were going to be either kicked out or you were going to be, uh, you would be killed. I mean, the peace of Rome was very important. And, and so, and then Rome had, I mean, they had pluralism. They had, uh, they worshiped so many different gods, including the emperor. And, and you could worship as many gods as you want, as long as you worship the emperor as well. And if you didn't worship the emperor, then you were going to have trouble. They would confiscate property. Uh, they would stop you from buying and selling. They could put you to death. I mean, there are a lot of things they would do. And here's the early church where they believe. And when you look in the book of Romans, I mean, Paul, he, he begins to describe what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And he talks about justification. And he talks about uh, following the spirit. He talks about all sorts of things. And then toward the end of the, of the letter to the Romans, he begins to get real practical, practical uh, about a lot of things. But he was, so, so Paul was trying to encourage this congregation to get established. And you know that in, in Christianity, there's only one God. And he's the only one that is to be worshiped. And it's not the emperor, right? So that's what, so there was an exclusiveness to their worship. And it's interesting to, to do uh, research because Christianity just exploded. I mean, before Constantine became the emperor in the 300s, for 300 years after the death of Christ and the giving of the Holy Spirit, that's the key, the giving of the Holy Spirit, the church exploded. Christianity just exploded. And there were all indications that it shouldn't have grown the way it did. I mean, they didn't have evangelistic programs to give. They didn't have visitation programs. I mean, they didn't even have a building necessarily that they would call the church because uh, they gathered in homes and they gathered in places and, and different things. But the church just grew. Christianity, this understanding of what it means to follow Jesus, it just exploded over 300 years. Amazing. And many historians would try to figure out what was it, what was it that made Christianity explode? Because it cut across social economic barriers. I mean, you couldn't, if, if, if you were a, a worshiper of God, a wor if you were a believer, you would not worship the emperor. And, and like I said, to, it, there was all sorts of things that would happen, but they continued to worship 
they continued to worship God. They couldn't buy things. They, they couldn't sell things. Uh, I mean, there were all sorts of stipulations against them. And, and one, of the, uh, one of the historians, Alan Kreider, uh, wrote a book called The, uh, the Patient um, Ferment of the Early Church. And he, he pointed to like there was four things. I, I'm getting to my message. I promise this is not 56 minutes. Uh, I'm getting there. But he pointed, he pointed to four things that really made a difference. Because he was a historian he was a believer, and he's trying to figure out what made Christianity grow over 300 years. What was it? And he discovered four things. One was patient. People were patient. In fact, uh, the early church fathers, even as early as 100, now this was, uh, Paul wrote this in the mid-50s, but even one of the early church fathers, uh, an early church father was a, was a person who was in charge, a bishop or in charge of the church, and, and he wrote... He wrote treatises or, or sermons or uh, things about, you know, how could you grow as a Christian? And patience was one of the ones they talked about. And these people believed that God was patient. And the incarnation of Jesus uh, coming in the flesh was an, an evidence of the patience of God. And so they were going to be patient. They weren't going to force anything. They were just going to follow God. They weren't going to be anxious about anything. They were just going to follow God. If their properties were gone or whatever was gone, they just believed that they followed a patient God. And since God was patient, they could be patient too. They didn't try to control things. I mean, it was an amazing thing. Uh, a, a second uh, quality or characteristic uh, that was discovered during this time as to why the church grew was that uh, why Christianity grew, grew was that they, they, he called it habitus. It was they actually lived what they believed, right? So back then, people talked about a lot of things, all the philosophies that were going on, all the religions. They talked about great things that would happen. And so what they believed was they didn't speak. They said, we don't, well, one of the early, once again, one of the early church fathers said, we don't speak great things. We live them. We live them. And so the habit is there. What they, they actually lived what they believed. And, and it was, there was a distinctness about it, and it gave hope. And people noticed that. People, because they noticed that uh, in all the other religions, they all talked about things, but they didn't live those things. But here in Christianity, they talked about these things, and they lived them. They forgave people. They encouraged people. They prayed with people. They took care of people who were cast out of society. I mean, that was their habit. And so, so they lived. They lived what they talked about. A third one was what they called, what he called catechesis in worship. It was discipleship. There was an intentionality in discipleship. And it wasn't a discipleship for information. It was a discipleship about transformation. And the things that began, once again, you know, uh, forgiveness and, and learning what it means to follow after, follow after Jesus. And, you know, this is kind of new for a lot of people. So you need to understand that uh, all sorts of people were coming into Christianity, and they had all their backgrounds. They had all the baggage that they brought in, the way they used to live their life. And, and they didn't have the Bible like we have it today. They didn't have books like we had it today. They just So they needed to come to be discipled, and they needed to talk about that. And when they gathered for worship, it was an encouragement to them. It was a reminder to them that they were following Jesus. And so when they gathered for worship like we do today... 
they were encouraged. They prayed for each other. They, they ate together in different homes, and, and they encouraged one another. And certain people were in charge of helping them, helping disciple other people for transformation. It wasn't information. I mean, there was information, but it was about transformation. So as they grew, they began to know what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So Paul dealt with some of these issues because some, you know, some said, well, you know, if food was sacrificed to idols, we shouldn't, we shouldn't eat it. And someone said, well, why not? You know, it's just food. And so, they had to, and so a lot of things were going on. And Paul was trying to encourage them to leave some of this stuff behind or to recognize that some of this stuff doesn't really, it doesn't, it's, not, it's, it's not a matter of eating, eating or drinking. The kingdom is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So, so the catechesis, the gathering together in worship was so very important. And the, I promise, I'm not doing 56 minutes, I promise. And the fourth, the fourth characteristic they discovered was what he called ferment. Ferment. There was this energy. There was this, we, we call it the Holy Spirit, right? There was this, this, this energy, this divine movement you could sense that God was at work through the Holy Spirit. We, we, that happens today. So it was, and that's all he knew. I mean, he, you know, as a, as a historian, you can't really say it was the spirit-filled life of sanctified people. He just called it this ferment. There was this bubbling up of energy. That these people, it was winsome. There was something about being around believers in this pagan society that had worship of all different gods, and even when they were persecuted, there was something about being near, living next door to a believer that was winsome. Like, wow, this is something we've never experienced before. So he talks about uh, these four things that were really important. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to Romans. I'm getting to Romans. So in that, back, in that backdrop, would you turn your Bibles to Romans 14? I told you I get there. Romans 14. It's interesting, Romans 14, Romans 15, and Romans 16. Paul just kind of, he lands what he's been talking about in the previous 13 chapters, about doctrine, about theology, about orthodoxy, about Jesus, about the Spirit, about sin, about justification. I mean, he, he lands the plane. And then in 14, 15, and 16, well, 16 is more about greeting people. But 14 and 15, he begins to say, listen, this is how we're going to live this life. Chapter 14, he talks about this, this conversation or this, this disagreement that was going on uh, over all these things. And, and Paul was saying that we need to, uh, we need, if you are strong in the faith, you need to be a, a, an encouragement to those who are weak in the faith. And he didn't mean that they were, you know, they were, you know, they just couldn't make it. He meant they were young. It was new. This was something that was different. They lived this life for so long, and now, now they're being told to live a different life, and it was challenging for them. And so Paul said they're, they're weak. They just don't, they don't understand yet. And, and so those of you, so if you go A to Z, let's say A to Z, and you're, you've been following Jesus, and in your life you're at letter M, whatever that means. You're at letter M. You know, this is, you know, you started at letter A and now you're, you're at letter M and, you know, you understand a lot of things now. And, and, but someone that you meet is at letter B or letter C 
you, you can't, you, you don't expect letter M obedience upon or understanding upon someone who's at letter C, right? You, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so someone who is early in the faith and you're way over here, you've been walking with, 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 this, uh, with Jesus for a while, you just don't expect where you are to be the same way they are. It takes time. It takes process. Amen? How many of you have had to grow for a while? <laughs> right? Right. It, 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 takes, it takes a while. I mean, I earned every single one of my gray hairs. I mean, it, it just takes a while to understand. I know more now about what it means to follow after Jesus than I did a year ago. When Pastor White retired back in, back in the day from this congregation, I think, I was, I was trying to remember with Jackie, I believe this was the first congregation that I walked through in a pastoral transition as district superintendent. Back in the Ice Age. I know it was a while ago, but uh, this was the, and it, it was, uh, so I've learned a lot more, gratefully, <laughs> since then. But what I'm saying is, Paul is trying to encourage them. Look, he's saying to the believers, listen, don't get so worked up over here for a person who's over here, but encourage them. So look at Romans 15. Um, oh, I could, many, many verses, but let's look at Romans uh, 14, sorry. Romans 14, verse number 17. Romans 14, I have new glasses, so I'm trying to adjust. So if you see me like this, <laughs> I mean, I can see you. Yeah, I, I saw that sneer. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. So here's the verse I'm landing on. Verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. The word make every effort really means pursue in the Greek. It means that it's like a, a hunter after their, after their prize. They do everything. They, they check the trail. They, they, they get away from the certain, you know, if, you, if you're a hunter and you're hunting something, you, you watch the trail and, and you watch where the wind's going to be so you're not, you know, so um, they can't, whatever you're hunting can't, you know, smell you, so to speak. And, and so you pay that, it's just pursuing. And, and that's what Paul is saying here. You must uh, pursue, let us pursue peace. The word peace doesn't mean an absence of problems. Uh, the word peace means to be uh, a wholeness, to help someone understand it's as a wholeness kind of thing it's it's not it's uh it's the spiritual welfare really of someone and then mutual edification means to build someone up uh to to help them understand what it means so there was this purpose and there was this uh, of, of peace and pursuing peace and and trying to encourage one another because the enemy will do everything he can to divide the church he tried to do that in every place i mean the enemy's one job, Jesus says, Jesus says he's a liar, right? Jesus says uh, he's a thief. Jesus says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Paul says the enemy masquerades as an angel of light. 
Peter says, the enemy is a hungry, roaring what? Lion, seeking to whom he may devour. John, in the book of Revelation, says the enemy is an accuser of the brethren and the sisters. <laughs> he accuses people. That's diabolos and another one. And so the enemy does whatever he can. And I want to tell you, my sisters and my brothers, the enemy is trying to create division, not just in the church, but in the world today. We live in very divisive times. And, and we have social media that seems to help that. And so people are way over here and people are way over there. And, and it's just, and so what the enemy wants, the enemy, he's the prince of the power of the air, right? So he loves to create division. He wants to divide the church. He wants to divide us. And Paul is saying here, here's a way to defeat that. Do make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. I, I want to suggest to you four postures, actually five, five postures. You know what a posture is, right? A posture. So uh, if I walk down here, is that okay? I mean, I, I don't. It's been a while. I've been here when you had Facebook. I wasn't here. So, um, am I good? You're, you're good. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. So, you guys, that's why I love, you talk back. Let me clarify that. You talk back in a nice way. So, so I want to share with you five, see, a posture. Uh, so, I'm going to show you a posture. You tell me what it means, all right? Did your parents ever do that to you? You just, I want to ask if your spouse ever does that to you. Here's another posture. Tell me what this one is. Hmm. Hmm. I do that a lot. Uh, here's, 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 uh, here's another posture. Ready? You all know that one, right? How many of you got that one down? I mean, you know, it's just like, I can do that. I don't even have to think about that. I can do that in my sleep. I want to share with you five postures that's going to be very important for us as a congregation in order to carry out what Romans 14, 19 says. Because the enemy will do whatever he can to stop Romans 14, 19 from happening. He will. Because he's a liar. He's a thief. He, you know you know that we just went through that. So here's the first posture I want to share with you. And, the, and, and uh, it's, it's this. It, it means to commit. Commit. That's the word. Commit. Uh, Earl Lee. Earl and Hazel Lee. They pastored Paz, Pasadena, Nazar California, Nazarene, Paznaz, they called it. Uh, back in the 70s and 60s. I mean, they were, they were known. I mean, that was, that was a, a big church in the Church of the Nazarene in, in the United States of America. And so they passed through this church, and he wrote a book on Psalm 37 called The Cycle of Victorious Living. Commit, uh, trust, uh, delight, and rest, I think, were those four ways. There are four steps, and he took it from Psalm 37. But the first one was commit. And committing means to hold your hands out, palms down, hands extended, fingers extended, so you're not holding on to anything. 
You're committing your way. So that's what he talked about, committing your way to the Lord. Interesting, it's been, it's been rewritten uh, by Scott Daniels, who used to pastor Pasadena First Church. Um, he's now pastoring in College Church in Nampa, I believe. And, uh, and he redid some of that. They kept the original text, and he rewrote it up to a kind of a modern era. And, and um, same thing, cycle of victorious living is through the foundry. And they have a little DVD that goes along with it. It's a great study. Anyways, commit. To commit. To commit. But there's, there's a barrier. There's an obstacle to committing, and it's this. Fear. <laughs> I... I'm not sure if I want to commit because it's fear or a lack of trust is another barrier, obstacle to committing. So it's a, it's a great posture, and it's a posture that I'm calling us to be a part of, that we would have this, that we would commit to God, not hold on to things, but to commit things to God. Because there's going to be a way, listen, you already know this. You already know this. In transitional times, things don't always go smoothly. Well, there's even in non-transitional times, things don't always go smoothly, right? Because we're human, right? I'm human, you're human. Sometimes we, we mess it up a little bit, right? Um, you know, commit. You need to commit. Because sometimes something might happen that you might say, I, I, you know, they didn't sing the right song, or they sang it too high, or they sang it too low, or... Uh, you know, we missed dismissing the kids this morning. Passport. I, you know, you know what I'm saying? Commit. I'm just giving it to God. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to get upset about it. I'm just committing it. I'm committing it to God. This process of pastoral transition, this is, this is the third time we've, been, we've worked on this together. What does that mean? That the other two were wrong? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means that the church is a human body. It's, 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 it's divine, but it's also there's humanity involved. And so, so we're working, and, and we learn. We learn every pastor that comes through these doors. We learn something, and the pastor learns something. So we're just, we're just, committing, this to the, we're just committing this to God, right? Some people have left. So what do we do? We commit them to God. We, we, we just commit them to God. Because we're going to do everything we can to pursue peace and what's for mutual edification. Commit. Posture. Commit. Let me share a second posture with you, and that is, um, make sure I have it in the right order here. Surrender. You know what surrender is? Just checking to make sure my deodorant's working here. You know, you know what surrender is? It's arms extended. Where are your palms? They're not like this. They're like this, right? So the person or wherever you're surrendering to can see, I got nothing. I'm, I'm just surrendering myself. And here's, here's, here's an obstacle to surrender. Ready? Control. <laughs> How many of you like to be in control, right? We, we, we like, we do. I mean, they have some... Some people like to control a lot. And sometimes things are going to happen that aren't in your control. Amen? You know that. You've lived life. Life isn't always about control, right? Sometimes in our prayer life, 
Um, sometimes in our prayer life, we try to control God. We say, now we might not say this out loud, but we might think, God, if, if you do X, Y, and Z, then I'll do this. You know, that's, that's, that's control. That's, or sometimes we, uh, we move the furniture around just because, you know, okay, God, okay, well, I'm going to move the furniture around to surrender. Surrender. We sing a song, I surrender all. That's, I'm telling you, my sisters and my brothers, the only way that you and I can live the life that God wants us to live is just surrender to him. And whatever that means. Now, that, it's sometimes it's easy to do that, and sometimes it's a little harder to do that, right? Surrender. I got three more. So I told you it wasn't going to be 56 minutes. Oh, I got to move quick. Here's the third one. The third one is, uh, is blessing. It's this. You know, at the end, sometimes when uh, someone shares a benediction, I want to share a blessing with you. Uh, many times people, in a response, they'll hands out, I mean, arms out, hands open, palms open, to receive a blessing, to receive a blessing. And we need to bless one another, right? So it's not just receiving, it's giving a blessing, giving a blessing. Those of you who are going to be helping out in Vacation Bible School, which I know you have lots of time available to do that, right? Those of you who are doing that, that's, that's a blessing. You're giving of yourselves. That's a, no wonder Pastor John was getting moved by that. That's a blessing. The church board, they don't get paid to do that stuff. You don't get paid, right? <laughs> no, they don't. I'm just kidding. I know they don't. They're serving. It's a blessing. They're giving of themselves. And you know, when you give of yourselves to the Lord, you also receive, right? You receive. The worship team, giving of themselves. It's not easy being up here leading music. Sometimes you have to look around at people <laughs> when they sing or when they don't sing. Sometimes faces are not very uh, accommodating. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we walk in here, we got stuff that we're, you know, we're dealing with and Receiving blessing. Those who teach Bible study. Those who work in the sound and, and in the media. Those who help greet people. Those who do the... I mean, it's just blessing. You know what would be cool? If all of us said, you know, at some point, I'm going to be a blessing. I'm, I'm just going to... Whether you deserve it or not, I'm just going to be a blessing. Because Jesus said the two, the two greatest commandments are these. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then one time a lawyer said, and just who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, right? The person that had been beaten up, and the Levite walks by, and the priest walks by, and the Samaritan, everyone goes, boo, boo, as he's telling the story, because that's, you know, you just boo Samaritans, because they don't know, they're cursed. What does the Samaritan do? He tends to the need of the person brings him to the inn and says to the innkeeper, I'll be back. I'll be back. He says to the innkeeper, I'll be back. And whatever, and they gave him some money. And if he owes, if he, there's any more that I need to pay, when I come back, I'll pay it. And Jesus asked the guy, the legal expert, who was the neighbor? <laughs> I got to move on. It's blessing. 
bless people, whether they deserve it or not. Just bless people. Uh, a fourth, a fourth posture is this. And your arms are out, your hands are like this. It's embrace. Embrace. That's my favorite posture. I love to embrace people. I love, I'm a hugger. I, I just love to hug people. It, it killed me during the pandemic because we couldn't do that. Right? It was all right. I wasn't going to argue about it. And, you know, I, I get it. Uh, but as soon as we were able to do that more, oh, man, hugger, embrace. It's a posture of embracing. We embrace God and we embrace one another. Even though we may differ on opinions, you know, we could have differences of opinions, don't we? Amen? I could tell you a name of a politician, and some of you would go, oh. And some of you would go, what do you mean? He's great. Oh, she's great. I'm not going to do that. Because <laughs> that, that would not help my point. <laughs> it's, it's hard to embrace people when they disagree with you. I've learned it's okay to embrace a Yankee fan. I just learned it's okay to do that. I know, right? I mean, tell me about it, right? Fred, you a Yankee fan? Yes, he is. You're going to make me earn my point here this morning. I love Yankee fans, don't you? Embrace. We embrace. No one's perfect. Some of you like country western music. That's that's not but I still embrace you. <laughs> My kids always try to get me to like country western. Well, I shouldn't say country western because there's difference now. Um what's that? Yeah. There's a station I've been trying to listen to. It's um, it's it's you know the twang twang and the what's that type of music? What is it? Bluegrass. How many of you like bluegrass? Well, I'm learning. I'm learning. The bluegrass you have to learn to pick a banjo like crazy, and you have to sing like hey. You have to have that. But there's some there's some great bluegrass music. I'm 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 learning. I need to keep moving here. See, this is this is the problem at the 56 minute message. You guys are encouraging me to keep going, but I know you're saying it. Embrace. Here's an obstacle. Oh, yeah, I didn't do the obstacle, the blessing. An obstacle, the blessing is I'm, I'm just not worthy. I'm, I'm just not worthy of a blessing. I've done so many bad things. I've done this. I've, I'm just not worthy who you are because Jesus loves you. And, and the one with the embrace, I, I'm just not, you can't embrace me. I'm just not loved. You wouldn't believe the things I've done not love. The last one is this, and then I'm going to wrap it up. And all God's people said, yay! <laughs> Just for that, I'm going five more minutes. Here's the last one. Ready? And I can't really describe it to you. I mean, I can show you, but uh, it takes a while to get back up. Rest. 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 R-E-S-T. Rest. The obstacle to that is busyness. Do you know you can be so busy in the church that you never have opportunity to rest and hear from God? Sometimes, and so here's the obstacle to rest 
It's performance. Now, I know some people in my life that feel that they owe God so much, and they do, that they, they would try to do everything they can to make God love them more. But I'm telling you, God just loves them, period. And you don't need to perform. You just rest. Just rest. Busyness. Tom's opening the door. And i got to keep moving. Rest. Rest. I'm trying to use the summer as a time of rest. I know you're thinking, you're on vacation, what are you doing here? Well, because I haven't, I haven't, Jackie is, I preach to her all the time, so she needed a break. She needed me to preach to other people. That's not true. Um, I did, I just want, I just love being with people. So it's, it's, uh, but I'm resting. I'm resting. I'm learning what it means to rest. My sisters and my brothers, God calls us to rest. Six days. You know, you know the Ten Commandments? On the seventh should be a day of rest. And I'm not saying that Sunday is your day of rest. What I'm saying to you is that you and I need to build into our lives a rhythm of resting. Of resting. So. Here's my encouragement to you. To commit Surrender, receive blessing, embrace, and, and to rest. The last thing I want to share with you, I, thought, I know you said, I thought that was the last thing. The last thing I want to share with you is that this happens in community. This does not happen individually. I mean, yeah, you can rest. And I'm not saying you have to rest with a bunch of people. But this happens in community. We're a part of a community of faith. God calls us to live in community. In fact, you cannot grow spiritually without community. It just won't happen. You look in all the scriptures, especially here, and Paul talks about Romans. When he says you, many times it's you all, y'all, all y'all. It's plural. We're called to be in, in community. In, uh, in Romans 15, 5 and 6. From the ESV, the English Standard Version, this is what it says. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in rich harmony, in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. During this time, my prayer is that you will give God the space to help you be an encourager and to live in such a harmony with one another that God would be glorified through Jesus Christ our Lord. My sisters and my brothers, there will be times during this time of pastoral transition that God's going to help you to grow and become more of the person he has called you to become. And when we pray for one another... When the worship team comes up, wherever the worship team is that Sunday, when the worship team comes up, we're going to encourage them, right? When the board, every once in a while, we're going to send a note to the board and say, hey, thanks for being uh, part of the board. Every once in a while, we'll send something to Pastor John and say, you know, thank you for helping us during this time or anyone. 
Yeah, we'll send us something, to, and he didn't even shut me down yet. Mike, you know, we'll send something to those guys that work in the sound. Hey, listen, you're doing. I know. He's, he's, I, I can see you moving. I can see you moving. You're gonna just say thanks for being a part of this. Thanks for helping. Vacation Bible School workers. How many of you are working Vacation Bible School? Thank you. Thank you. You're gonna hang out with kids. I know. I know that probably not an encouragement. But I think it is. Because kids will hear about Jesus, and you'll have an opportunity to influence their life. Well, I got to stop because they will go on to 56 minutes pretty soon. But uh, I just want you to know that we love you, and we appreciate you. We're gonna we're gonna work together on this. It may seem slow, but you know God is not slow. Slow as un, some understand slowness. You know, a thousand days. Well, I'm not gonna. Anyways, it won't take a thousand days. But we're going we're gonna to work, and God's going to help us. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Can I just pray a prayer, and then Pastor John's going to come? Uh, let me, I'll tell you what. Receive this blessing. Let me get back to this passage of Scripture. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together... You may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in and through his name. Amen.